Look with me at Genesis chapter 14, verse 8. I'm reading from the English Standard Version today. It says, Then the king of Sodom, uh oh, and the king of Gomorrah, I'm not preaching that sermon today, the king of Adma, the king of Zeboeum, and the king of Belah, that is Zoar. Apparently, that king needed two names, went out. And they joined battle in the valley of Sidim. That's for later. You're not supposed, they're not supposed to see you right now. Joined battle in the valley of Sidim, verse 9, with, there he is, one of them, Keterleomer. Yes, I looked it up. I even have the phonetic spelling right here available for me in my notes so I know where to emphasize and where not to emphasize. And most people that pronounce his name pronounce it Keterleomer. King of Elam. Tidal, king of Goim. Amraphel, king of Shinar. God bless you. And Ariok, king of Elasar. Four kings against five. All right, now just to set up the few verses in 30 seconds, we've got four kings going up against five kings. And... The five kings are actually rebelling against one of the main kings in the four. Keterleomer is like the main authority in the land. And the king of Sodom and Gomorrah and Adma and Zeboeum, the five, and the king of Bela and Zoar, which are two places, they are rebelling against Keterleomer. For ten years, they had paid homage and operated under the authority of Keterleomer, and now they are going to war with him. Some versions call them the king, the rebel kings. Verse 10, the valley of Sidim was full of bitumen pits. Who knows what bitumen pits are? Just wave at me. That's <laughs> so funny. Neither did I. Okay, so um, I did what any biblical scholar would do. I opened up Google, and, and I, I typed in the human pit, and then I actually got stuck on YouTube watching a video of animals that got stuck in the human pits. <laughs> so a human pit is actually just like a petroleum pit or a tar pit, basically. In other words, if you would have been reading your Bible in Genesis chapter 14 about 10 years ago, you would have known to invest in Israeli oil because the Lord prophesied in Genesis chapter 14 that there was oil in the ground of Zion. And you would have more money right now, and then we could build that building faster. But we missed it. All of us missed it. It was human pits. And the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, and some of them fell into the petroleum pits, the tar pits, and the rest of them fled to the hill country, verse 11. So the enemy, the enemy took all of the possessions of Sodom and Gomorrah and all of their provisions, not just what they had, but what they had for planned for the future. All of their possessions and their provisions, and those kings went their way. Verse 12, highlight this, they also took Lot. It's interesting to me that it is an innate ability of mine and predominantly ours that we don't worry about things until it happens close to home. If it happens on the other side of the world, 
We don't even act like it's really happening. If Christians are being persecuted and losing their lives in 2019 and 2020 at a rate that Christians have never been martyred before, it doesn't feel like anything is happening because it's not happening to us. But all of a sudden, whenever it becomes more than just something that you hear about taking place in Seattle, New York, California, or Iran, and or surrounded by armies, which is Israel right now, when somebody that we love is connected to Afghanistan, all of a, all of a sudden, what was not that important to us becomes very pertinent to us. And Abram was surrounded by these armies and these enemies, and he wasn't really worried about all the wars that were taking place in the world until somebody that he loved was taken too. And his nephew, Lot, was taken. The son of Abram's brother, he was dwelling in Sodom. He was not supposed to be dwelling in Sodom. When you begin to dwell in places that you're not supposed to dwell, then not only will you do things that are not supposed to be done, but things will be done to you that were never intended by God. And Lot was dwelling in a land that God did not tell him to dwell in, and so Lot too lost his possessions, and the kings went on their way. Write this down if you're taking notes today. Number one, when we mix in, we tend to mess up. When we mix in, we tend to mess up. Now listen, I believe that this was a strategically planned prophetic word from God. I don't believe that this is another sermon. I don't ever preach just another sermon, but I believe that today is a specific sermon because I have a concern for the church. Specifically, I have a concern for some of you in this church. Now, I am responsible directly for New Hope church in Eunice, but I have a concern for the church in America and all the way around the world. And here's my concern. We are better at mixing into society than we are ministering to society. We are better at attending the same parties and doing the same things and calling it evangelism. Well, Jesus said that we had to be in the world. You are right. We do have to be in the world, but at no point did he ever justify you acting just like the world. I am very concerned. Let me just say it. I'll go ahead and go there. I am very concerned every February and March for the church and the people that God has given me the opportunity to pastor. Let me say unapologetically today that if it ain't good for me, it ain't good for you. And I am tired of people being in the background of Instagram photos and Facebook live videos holding the same devil's brew as everybody else, consuming it just enough that they wouldn't be able to pass a breathalyzer and then showing up on Sunday trying to act holy. When you've been acting like an evil person that doesn't believe Monday through Saturday and you put your mask on on Sunday God knows you've already been mixing in and everything that you've messed up now he'll heal it and forgive it but if you pick it back up again on Monday then you are removing the hand of God from your life and it's not God's fault let me just say it this way. If I don't get to drink, you don't get to drink. If I don't get to smoke, you don't get to smoke. If I don't get to cuss, you don't get to cuss. If you wouldn't laugh whenever I did it, then you shouldn't laugh whenever you do it. If I can't watch it, then you can't watch it. If it ain't good for your kids, it ain't good for God's kids. I can't get no help in this Episcopalian church this morning. I am sick and tired of watching the church blend in casually to society and assume that Jesus 
Jesus is just going to forgive it. I want to see somebody holy, set apart, consecrated, and sanctified for the last day society. We can't mix in and be called up. Come on, somebody. When we mix in, we tend to mess up. I believe that we are not in a day and age where we're worse than this country is more evil than this is society. We live in a time. No, no, no. Hang on. on. Listen. We don't live in an hour where we can get caught staring off in the distance. We don't live in an age where we can act like everybody else, give, serve, and say we believe in Jesus and still call it saved. We live in a country and in a world that is slowly and obviously falling apart. We live in a day and age where we are physically seeing revelation begin to set itself up so that it can come to pass. And yet we are just as complacent and we are just as compromising as any generation has ever been. Ever been. And I believe that it's time to stop mixing in and calling it ministry. Because it hurts my heart every time that you do something that you know in the name of Jesus you would not be okay with your preacher doing. And if you ain't okay with your preacher doing it, then Jesus ain't okay with you doing it. Now that I got that out of my system. The Bible says that Lot, when Abram called him out of the land of the Chaldeans and into the promised land that he had for him, that instead of staying focused on his family, Lot began to stare at Sodom. Now we wonder what's wrong with our country. You know what's wrong with our country? The same thing that's wrong with our Christians is that we are more found staring at Sodom than we are found focused on our families. We want to do like everybody else. We want to be like everybody else. We want to succeed like everybody else. We only invest like everybody else, and we only complain like everybody else. If you're a guest this Sunday, please come back next week. (laughs) This is a family moment for you today. You just got kind of caught up in. It's like having a friend at the house when my kids do something stupid. I still got to deal with this. Come back again. Maybe we'll have more fun next time. The Bible says that Lot, he looked upon Sodom. If you read through some earlier passages, it doesn't say that he saw Sodom because it's not a sin to see something. The Bible says he looked upon Sodom. Although it's not a sin to see something, it could very quickly become a sin to look at something. What started out as a thought, an idea, a perception of how somebody else defines success, all of a sudden became a meditation of Lot's heart as he looked upon it. And then the Bible, and I'm going to be very careful because this is easy to mess up. The Bible says that Lot pitched his tent. Not to be confused with something else I saw on YouTube that a pastor said the very wrong way and then never recovered from. But Lot 
pitched his tent in the direction of Sodom. So instead of having his head on his house, he had his head somewhere else. And ultimately, Lot moved his family, not because God told him to. He wasn't a missionary in Sodom. He moved his family to mix himself into Sodom. So much to the fact that in Genesis chapter 19, we see that Lot was one of the officials at the gate of Sodom. He was one of the politicians. He was a Sodomite himself. Now, I'm not saying that we can't use democracy and or politics to have God's way in this society. I believe that we should write our senators and our representatives. I believe that we should show up to vote. Come on, somebody. I believe that we should be productive citizens in the society in which God has placed us. But there should be a significant difference between somebody that says they believe in Jesus and somebody that is obviously not even trying to live for him. And you could not tell the difference between Lot and his house. So because you could not tell the difference between Lot and his house, it cost him his spouse. And many of you know the story of Lot's wife. I'll simplify it today. You just need to know that she was very salty. In fact, she was a pillar of salty, the Bible says. But she should have never been there. See, it was Lot that led her into the place that cost her her own life. We must be very, very careful. I believe more so than ever. This is not just another message. I believe that we need to become very, very cautious of ending up just like the society that we say we so despise. I believe that we need to be careful mixing ourselves into the current culture. The current culture of insensitivity, the current culture of inconsideration, the current culture of ungodliness, the current culture of selfish ambition, the current culture of immorality, the current culture of lowered standards, the current culture of identity confusion. This culture can't figure out which bathroom to use. Why are we, the people of God, trying to be like them? We cannot define male and female, much less our divine destiny. And yet we are blending ourselves in casually, assuming that God is just going to be gracious to us because we agree that he exists. I'm telling you, it is a lie from a bit human pit. What feels better now will most likely lead to bondage later. That was a prophetic warning, I believe, for somebody in this house today. That when we do what we want to do in the moment, it will lead to the bondage of our soul and the people around us through the mileage. I heard... I actually read the statement, I believe it's attributed to Abraham Lincoln and another pastor quoted it recently. Have you heard me say it before? But discipline is making 
denying yourself what you want right now for what you want most later. Here's what I believe discipline is according to scripture. Discipline is a disciple that makes decisions not based on what the disciple wants, but makes decisions based upon what Jesus wants. It is the willingness to deny my flesh in the moment so that I can walk in the spirit through the rest of my day. It is the decision to deny myself. Here's how Jack Hayford said. He said, we have to learn how to make decisions against ourselves. Because if I don't learn as a follower of Jesus how to make decisions against myself, then I will make decisions that cause me to hurt myself. And ultimately, I will make decisions that cause me to hurt everybody around me. It's not just that we get caught up in the current culture. It's not just for me. Hear me as a 37-year-old who is really in between multiple generations right now. It's not about the people around me currently. I have officially reached a season of life where I'm not nearly as concerned about what is happening currently as I am for the ones who are coming after me. See, and if I don't set the standard now, then what I allow in moderation, the ones coming after me will do in excess, and that is what's wrong with just generation. The church of the 80s and 90s began to allow in moderation what this generation is now doing in excess. And they will continue to do in excess until Jesus comes back and shows everybody that he was never okay with moderation. It's not just about me not getting caught up in the current culture and the ideology of this society. It is about me raising my children in a way that the ones coming after me will not just learn the lessons of the sins that God already had to forgive, but the ones coming after me will take the gospel further and to more people than any generation has ever taken it to before. And the only way that they're going to do that is if I live like Jesus in front of them. Because if they get to use me, oh, I'm feeling it this morning. If they get to use me as an excuse in this life, then they will have to stand before God in the next life as I watch them miss what God had available to them. There's too much on the line. I'm telling you, February 2020 was a warning, and some people still haven't woken up. Either that or they woke up for about three months and then they went back to sleep again. How do I know? Because I watch them. And I look at the fruit of the life that they should be living comparing to the fruit of the life that they're willing to live. And to me, they look just like Lot. To me, if we're not careful, then we will become what we despise. And we will get mixed in like Lot. Ultimately, we will get mixed up like Lot. And we will lose our families like Lot. We will lose our loved ones like Lot. We will lose our very own soul, possibly, like Lot. I don't imagine that Lot ever considered he would end up sleeping with his own daughter in drunkenness. But isn't it amazing that when you're willing to mix yourself into a godless society, what you will do when you lack sobriety?
Well, I'd never do that. Yeah, but you've already done things that you couldn't believe you would have ever done just 10 or 15 years ago. And it all started because you got mixed in and ultimately mixed up. And now, instead of doing ministry, you're just messing up. I believe it's time to turn. Bump your neighbor and tell them it's time to turn. I just woke 17 people up. Bump your other neighbor. Tell them it's time to turn. Genesis chapter 14, verse 13. The Bible says, one escaped from the enemy. Just one escaped. And they came and told Abram the Hebrew. I love that the Bible designated this guy. I want him to come tell Chris, the follower of Jesus. They came and told Abram, <laughs> y'all can't do, y'all know y'all can't do nothing, right? We live in Eunice and the surrounding area. People come tell me, if you go to this church, you claim that you go to this church. If you've ever been to this church, I've had people call our office and say, we had New Hope people at our restaurant today. And you won't believe what they did. <laughs> and they'll call me and say, some of your people. I'm like, that's not my people. That's Jesus's people. You better call upon the name of the Lord because that's not my problem. <laughs> my kids ain't acting like that. But guess what? When they do, I got to tell you something. I don't even want to tell you. But Gabriel, oh, he dead. <laughs> it's... <laughs> my man can't get away with nothing come on and he ought to thank God that he can't get away with something in this life so you getting mad at people that are trying to help you by not letting you get away with the sin that you wanted to get away with there was one who escaped and he came and told Abram the Hebrew who was living by the oaks of Mamre the Amorite the brother of Eshcol and of Anur. And I actually looked that up. I saw, surely I'm not saying that right, but I am. It's Anur. So like when somebody come and ask you if they want, if you want to go for a run this afternoon, you can go, uh, Anur. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you want to get a new gym membership with me? Uh, Anur. <laughs> Daddy, can I have a popsicle? I'm practicing my scripture, Anur. <laughs> All right, I'm sorry. I'm back. The Bible says these were the allies, they were the allies of Abram. Come on, thank God that Abram had the wisdom in the land of his enemies to know who to connect to and who not to connect to. I don't have time to preach that today. When Abram heard, verse 14, when Abram heard that his kinsmen had been taken captive, all of a sudden, it was not just something that everybody else was going through. When Abram heard that his kinsman, his loved one, had been taken captive by the enemy, it was no longer something that he just read on social media and forgot about five minutes later. He was now connected. But I want you to notice that Abram never assumed that the enemy wasn't going to come after him as some church people today assume that the enemy is not going to come after them. 
Because the Bible says that Abram, when he heard that his kinsmen had been taken captive, he led forth his trained men. The ones that were born in his house. So Abram wasn't staring at society and all of the sin that he wanted to be fulfilled by. Abram was focused on his family. Come on, somebody. Abram had his head in his house, and the people that God had positioned in place, well, I don't have anybody in my house. Yeah, but you got people in your life, and you're a part of this house, so you can keep your head in this house, and the people that God has put in your path as a, as a, as a member and or an attender of this house. And Abram, the Bible said, was focused on his house, and he trained 318. That's God's number, y'all. That's Louisiana, North Louisiana specifically, area code. When you see a 318 number, I'm telling you, you better answer it. That might be the voice of God. Minden done made the scripture in Genesis chapter 14. Come on. He trained 318, 318 of them. And he went in pursuit of the enemy as far as Dan. Write this down, number two. It's time to train. It's time to train. You might want to confess it after you write it down. Say it out loud and remind your spirit. Let the devil hear you. It's time. It's time to train. The Bible doesn't say tell a child the way that it should go, and when it grows old, it will not depart. The scripture says train. Train. And you can't teach somebody something that you hadn't learned. So you can't train somebody to do something you hadn't been training yourself to do. Come on, I'm trying to help this service this morning. It's time to train. It's not time to tell them. It's not time to assume that it's somebody else's responsibility. It's not time to assume that and hope that it's going to work out okay. Because I don't know if you've noticed or not, but assuming that everything was just going to be okay has not worked out very well up to this point. Because sometimes what we assume will end up being okay will actually just be the end. It's not time to put them on an iPad so that you can finish what you wanted to finish and assume that they're just going to be okay. It's not time to buy them a cell phone just because everybody else has a cell phone. It's not time to let them download the app because everybody else has downloaded the app. It's not time to give the enemy access to your child through the World Wide Web just because everybody else has access and their child has access to the World Wide Web. It's not time to give the world their way in the eyes of the generation that is to come. It is not time to assume that they're not going to make the same mistakes that you've already made. It is time, somebody help me, to train the generation that is coming after us, not to assume that they're just going to train themselves. I need some spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers who are no longer willing to stand by passively and call it prayer. I need some spiritual mothers and some spiritual fathers who are more interested in training the next generation than they are incessantly being ministered to over the same thing every week in this generation. 
We need to rise up to the place where we're no longer willing to point the finger, but we're willing to become part of the fulfillment. Abram was surrounded by enemies, enemies of his family, enemies of his allies. Abram was surrounded by enemies of his house. He was surrounded by enemies of God. He was surrounded by enemies of integrity. He was surrounded by enemies of identity. He was surrounded by enemies of God's word. He was surrounded by enemies of morality. He was surrounded by enemies of purity. He was surrounded by the enemies of the anointing that God wanted to have for his life. I heard just last week, my bride told me this. Somebody posted on social media in this area that there was somebody at Walmart that tried to take a baby out of a buggy with the mama standing right there. Now, fortunately for that person, I wasn't there. But I'm telling you right now, if somebody came up to the buggy that had my baby in it, and they tried to take one of my babies out of the buggy, I don't care if she's 2 or 22. If somebody tried to steal my baby... I'm not calling the church to see if Pastor Weston or Pastor Dillon are there because I need somebody to intercede on my behalf and pray with me. If somebody tries to steal my baby, I'm not calling Eddie Thibodeau and saying, somebody trying to take my baby right here in Walmart. Somebody else may call Eddie Thibodeau by the time I get finished with whoever just tried to take, but I'm not calling him. If somebody tries to steal my spouse, come on, I'm telling you right now, I will help them meet Jesus. If the enemy's trying to steal your husband, come on, ladies, you will pull out a knife and introduce them to the blood. Come on. If there is an enemy attempting to steal your niece or nephew, if there was an enemy, come on, if there was a thief in your house, and you were asleep, but you heard the thief come in. Because you got an 18-pound dog that goes crazy when something happens, even if it's nothing that happens. And you wake up and somebody is standing at your stairwell or standing at the door of your child's bedroom. If your first response is to stop and pray that the Holy Spirit intervenes, if it is your first response to hope that nothing bad happens, if it is your first response to pray and to, or to call somebody else to pray, instead of doing what needs to be done to make sure that the enemy doesn't have his way. See, I believe that the Bible says the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may desire. And this thief has come to steal and to kill and to destroy. And right now, the devil is coming through Snapchat. The devil is coming through TikTok. The devil is coming through Instagram. And they are tying themselves to things that you're not paying attention to. And you're tying yourself to things that are temporary and irrelevant. And TikTok is forming people's theology instead of the word 
Word of God forming their theology. An Instagram clip is not you spending time with Jesus. The only thing that is sufficient for spending time with Jesus is spending time with Jesus. It's not watching what somebody else has learned when they were spending time with Jesus. It's not acting like an unbeliever all week long and then putting on a mask and calling it Christianity on Sunday. It's not time to tell them. It's time to train them. And the reason that we don't train them is because training takes time. And we have time for everything that we want to do. We just don't take time for the things that we need to do. Oh, if it's something that we want, then we create time. It's if, if it's something fun, come on, we find a way. But if it's something holy, if it's a habit that we should have been operating in for the last decade, if it's something that we hope our children don't run into, isn't it interesting? That people, and we talked about this in our parenting group, I hope it's okay, but isn't it interesting, I brought it up to them, so I'm going to bring it up to you. Isn't it interesting that we will make our children do everything but serve Jesus? We'll make them get up. We'll make them go to school. We'll make them go to work. Well, when is the last time that you made them spend time in God's Word? When is the last time that you made them go to camp? When is the last time that you made them show up on Wednesday? Well, I don't want to. Who cares what you want to do? We're not led by what we want. We're led by God's will. And as for me and my house, as long as I'm paying for your stuff, you're going to do like I'm doing, and we will serve the Lord. We make them do everything. Well, I don't want to push them away from God. You better be pushing them to God in this culture because the devil is trying to take them away from him in this culture. Well, I don't want to try to force them into his will. Then don't lead them into his purpose. Imitate Christ as they imitate you because they're going to imitate you whether you imitate him or not. I, whoo, his done got thick this morning. Somebody tried to steal my baby. Somebody is trying to steal my baby. This is why we need the church. This is why we need to be training as the church. Because when the enemy comes and tempts them when I'm not around, it's going to be okay because they're trained. When some boy comes in and tries to take the place of the man that they've heard me praying for, it's okay because they're going to be trained. When they end up on 2nd Street later than they should have been, I'm not going to worry about it because I've been taking the time to train them. When something pops up on TikTok that I didn't want them to see, I'm not going to sweat over it because I've been training them. And I know that I have a relationship strong enough with them that they would rather please their daddy than they would please their flesh because they see their mama and their daddy more interested in their heavenly father than their own happiness and when we take the time to train them then the world can't tempt them the way that the world wants to tempt them when the philosophy 101 professor comes in and tries to change their mind about the existence of God himself, it's okay because they're trained. When it comes to pledge week in the middle of the month and their friends want them to join things that they shouldn't join, it's okay because they've done been trained. Whenever they go into the world and the world begins to offer them everything that the world has to offer, I don't have to worry when they're 20 and when they're 30 because I took the time to train them and they're going to live the way that God called them to live no matter what. So 
somebody else tells them to do? Are we training them? Abram had 318 trained. Who are you training? Well, I don't have time. I don't have time to host a small group. You don't know how many hours I have to work. I don't have time to disciple somebody. I don't have time to be at home when I need to be home. It's deer season, preacher. I don't have time because I told my friends I would be there. I don't have time because my boss expects me. I don't have time because I've committed to too many temporary things. Abram said 318 was trained in his house. And so he sent them out. I love it. By night. He didn't even wait till the daytime. He sent them out in the darkness because he wasn't worried about the darkness having more influence over them than they had over the darkness. He sent them out not to blend in casually and become like the darkness. Come on, he sent them out to be the light of the world in the middle of the darkness because they were trained and they were ready. Well, they're going to be exposed to it at some point. It may as well be. No, stupid. They are going to be exposed to it at some point. But you better hope that you've been training before they're exposed and tempted or they will lose their soul and their anointing. Verse 17. The Bible says after his return from the defeat of Keterleomer and the kings who were with him took 318. See, God doesn't need our numbers. He just needs a remnant. God needs one person to escape the enemy. In the name of Jesus. He just needs 300 trained people to take over five kingdoms after they returned. The kings who were with them, the king of Sodom, went out to meet him in the valley of Shiva. That is the king's valley. Verse 18. The name that I love right under every other name. Melchizedek. King of Salem. Man, that went by quick. That is King of Salem brought out communion. Bread representing the body and wine representing the blood. He was a priest of God most high. Now, this don't make any sense for my theology. If you're a historian... You have no idea what just happened because this guy just came out of nowhere. Some scholars believe that this guy was possibly one of the sons of Noah or came from the tribe of one of the sons of Noah that is not mentioned that maybe Abram did not come from. Some people believe that it is possible that this was a pagan king that one of the sons of Noah shared about the God of deliverance and he became a believer in the God of deliverance instead of the God of divination, which is devil worship. And some people believe that this was the image and the incarnation of the Son of God himself represented in the Old Testament, Jesus Christ. It says Melchizedek, brought out the communion, verse 19, and he blessed Abram and said, Blessed be Abram by God most high, possessor of heaven 
and earth. See, sometimes we need to surround ourselves with people and we need to surround ourselves with messages that remind us of who God already said we were instead of listening to what the world wants us to be. Blessed be Abram, by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. Verse 20, and blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram, like Zacchaeus, so impressed with what God had given him. See, it would have been very normal for Abram to look into his own gifting and his own training and his own ability and what he had invested in the 318. It would have been very tempting for Abram to take credit for overcoming the kings. It would have been expected even by the people of that day that Abram would have glorified himself in the face of such a victory. But Melchizedek comes by and reminds him that with man these things are impossible, but with God all things are possible. Melchizedek comes by and reminds Abram that it's not in his own ability and it's not in his own gifting. It is because of God that you did what you, that you give what you give. And the Bible says because he understood what God gave him. This is the first time that we see the tithe mentioned in Scripture, and I'm not even preaching it today. But Moses, according to most scholars, found it to be placed in Genesis chapter 14 as recognition of understanding that today, even today, when we understand what God has given us, there is nothing in our lives that we will hold back from giving him. Number three, and I close with this, we are not alone. When you're acting like unbelievers, you need to remember, we are not alone. When you go to watch things you know you're not supposed to watch, you need to remember that we are not alone. Bump your sleepy neighbor and tell him Jesus knows your passcode. <laughs> Listen to me. When you're fighting the greatest fight of your life, you need to know. And I came to prophesy into people's lives today not because I already knew. But when you're up against the greatest battle that you've ever been up against before, you need to remember that we are not alone. I came to prophesy five devils out of somebody's complacency today and tell you that we are not alone. I came to call out somebody's compromise this morning and tell you we are not alone. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 1, Who is this Melchizedek? The author states, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, 
and priest of the Most High God. You need to write that down. He was a king and a priest. This is significant because there is no other in the entire Old Testament who was both king and priest. This king of Salem and this priest of the Most High God met Abraham returning from the slaughter of Keterleomer. I just had to say it one more time. It was... And of the kings, the other four kings with him. And Melchizedek blessed him. Verse 2, and to him Abraham apportioned a tenth of a tenth part of everything. This would have been a great opportunity for the author of Hebrews to just simply explain away my personal conviction in regards to the tithe and giving God the first 10% of everything that he's given me. It would have been a great moment for all the people that don't believe that the tithe is still necessary to the New Testament. It would have been a great moment for the author of Hebrews to go, now listen, now they tithed in the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, the tithe is no longer necessary as it was in the Old Testament. He doesn't do that. He uses it at a starting place to make a point. He says, Abraham apportioned a tenth of everything. He, Melchizedek, this is who he's talking about, is the first by translation of his name, and Melchizedek is literally translated as king of righteousness. Word for word translation. And he was the king of Salem. That is the king of peace. So Abram takes 318 people out as he goes after his nephew and his family and his possessions and his provisions. And when Abram thinks that he's out there fighting alone... There is a king that nobody even knew about preparing communion for a man that nobody's heard of. Melchizedek, king of peace, king of righteousness. Now there's only one that I know of that was the king of peace and the king of righteousness. So let's keep reading verse 3. He is without father, he is without mother, and he is without genealogy. See, Matthew hadn't written the geology of, genealogy of gene, Jesus yet, and neither had Luke. Having neither beginning of days nor end of life. Now that I know of, there is only one who is king of peace, king of righteousness, and priest of the Most High God, that had no beginning and has no end. And he is the one that was resembling the Son of God, and he continues as a priest forever. Verse 4, see how great this man was to whom Abraham, the patriarch, gave a tenth of the spoils. It was just a response. Generosity was just a response to the image of Jesus. Verse 9, one might even say that Levi himself, who receives tithes, See, I believe right here that the author of Hebrews took the time to make a point that you are not able to receive what you are not willing to give. Levi, in this passage, receives tithes, and yet through Abraham, because Aaron had not been born, and Levi had not been born, and Isaac had not been born, and Jacob had not been born. But Abram, 
who held the will of God in his soul for the coming generations. I'm telling you, you hold within yourself God's anointing for those who are coming after you. But if you don't know how to give it, then you'll never receive it. Levi, through Abraham, gave a tithe. Verse 19, he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. Let's go back one chapter, and I'm going to pray over you. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19. We have this. As a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. Come on, if they had it in that generation, then we have it in this generation. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. A hope that enters Listen to me. We don't just have hope and stand there. Come on, we have hope and we start things. We have hope and we do things. We have hope and we produce things. He had a hope, but he didn't just hang on to it and hope and assume that the Holy Ghost was going to do for him what he was capable of doing for everybody else. We have this hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. Verse 20, I love it, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner. Here's what I believe. When Abram's countenance was fallen, Jesus was forerunning. When the enemy got in the way of Abram and stole his family, Jesus was making a way when Abram didn't even know there was needed one. I believe that when everything else was going wrong, come on, Jesus was beginning to make it right and righteous. I believe that when Abram felt the pain of what the messenger just told him, Jesus Christ was forming a purpose that would overthrow the enemy, not just for himself, but for everybody around him. See, when you thought that you were alone in the room, Jesus was making a way. When you thought that you were alone in the fight, Jesus was forerunning. When you thought that the prodigal would never come back home again. Jesus Christ was preparing a way for him to come back down the road in his unworthiness and in his tribulation so that he could once again run into the Father's arms and be restored. Even when we don't need know that we need to be fighting, Jesus is fighting on our behalf. And the Bible says, having become a high priest for how long not for the New Testament it doesn't say that he became a high priest for the apostles it doesn't say that he became a high priest for the prophets and the pastors and the teachers and evangelists it doesn't say that he became a high priest for the hurting it says he became a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Saints of God and those who should be. It is not time to leave the sword in the sheath. It's time to begin to renew the things that God has for you and the things that God has for your family.
It's time to unsheathe the sword. But if you don't know what to do with this, then you can hurt yourself. If your child... We have one weapon. As the enemy is trying to steal the soul of you and the people that you care about. And we have an entire generation that has the word of God everywhere they go. But instead of using the word of God and the device that the word of God is in to restore their soul, they are using it at the enemy's will to rob their soul. It's time to train because we are not alone. It's time. This church, I'm not responsible for the church. I'm responsible for this church. It's time for us to hold one another accountable. It's time to stop being offended when somebody tries to hold you accountable. It's time that we stop simply mixing into society and we receive the anointing of God to minister to the sinner. I want to invite you to bow your head, close your eyes, every follower of Jesus in the room right now. Lord, let us wake up. Let us not lose in this generation and those who are coming up after us in the next. I prophesy that prodigals come home right now, today. God, I prophesy that dry bones awaken in this place this morning. I prophesied that a servant would fall on the bones of Elisha and receive the anointing that God had hold but was buried underneath way too far for anybody but Jesus to reveal. God, I pray that the complacent and the compromise would right now in the name of Jesus hear the call and commit to it. Every follower of Jesus ought to be evaluating right now where we're simply mixing in and we're going to mess up. Every follower of Jesus ought to be evaluating whether we're training and who we're training. Write down their name. Adjust your schedule. You have the same amount of time that Jesus had. We will not be able to give the excuse that we didn't have enough time. And every person in this room watching online should know we are not alone. It doesn't matter how much evil we are surrounded by. Come on, our God, King of righteousness, King of peace, and high priest forever. Our God is still on his throne. If you need to give him your life today, I don't care what else you give. And he doesn't care what else you give. 
until you give him yourself. I want you to prepare your heart right now. I want you to open your hands right where you are in a posture of surrender, whether you're in the house or you're watching online, live or later. Open your hands unto the Lord. Church, I want to ask you to pray out loud right now so that every person in this room and every person listening will know they are not alone. Not only is God for us, but there is a church that is with you as well. And you get to be a part of a family that's going to fight through this together. If you need to give your life to Jesus today, let's pray this prayer together. Church, pray it with me. Jesus, forgive me for my compromise where I've mixed in. I've been distracted and disobedient. I messed up. But you forgive, you save, you cleanse, and you call. I believe that you gave your life so I could live. You died on the cross. You shed your blood. Your body was broken. You were beaten and bruised for the chastisement and the pavement of my sin. But you were raised from the dead so I could be born again, so I could live for you, look like you, be an example like you. So I pray right now that you take my life and you make it yours. May I follow you with all of my heart from this day forward. I surrender all in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, give him praise today if you believe that.